I'd like to invite all the uh, Romanian mission team to the platform right now. We want to thank every one of you. How many of you are praying for us last, last two weeks? We had an awesome time. Uh, God was just really simply moving throughout Romania in an amazing way. And we had to uh, experience firsthand what God was doing out there. And uh, extreme poverty out there we encountered when we first visited the uh, town of Medjadia with Pastor Vasilika and the team. And uh, Vasilika told us basically the poverty is such a way some of the, the workers out there only get paid 100 pounds a month out there. And many of the people in Romania, 70% unemployment out there. And it's really bad there in Medjadia as well. But as the team went there, uh, you can see some of the pictures on the board there. We ministered to a total of 14 churches in the space of one weekend. These are the people here who ministered there. And uh, God is really visiting the church. God gave us a word on the Holy Spirit, the dove, the picture of the dove. And that's exactly what happened on this mission. Many of the churches were being visited by the Holy Spirit for the first time. There was about 40 young people in one church who had the baptism of the Holy Spirit in one single service. They were crying and weeping and seeking after God. And yesterday, I just received a text message. They had a gathering of 35 church planters. Now, most of these churches planters. They're going out to villages and towns, and they're ready to plant the church, and they have the Sword of the Spirit teaching by our senior minister, Colin Dye. And the team ministered there, and many of them received the Holy Spirit, which speaking in tongues were falling under the power of God and being sent out to plant churches during that time. And many of the team members, we don't have time to share today, but, you know, we've really been touched by God and want you guys to be touched by God as we send many more teams there to Romania. Now, I'm going to invite Lola and Tope to come and also Kunlay and Tomade to come right now. They are regular attenders here at the 11 o'clock service, and uh, they're going to share firsthand just for two minutes each. Hallelujah. Amen. Because, you know, when you go on mission, you know, you get preacheritis. You want to just preach forever. And we know people in KT. So I just wanted to share briefly what happened. You've seen people saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and saved from Muslim backgrounds. So tell us what happened. Okay. Um, on Friday evening, we led one of the cell group meetings. And initially when we got there, there was this woman who was a bit reserved. But as we were speaking, she got emotional and started crying. And then we um, said... Oh, we, led all to call and she gave her life got saved and we also encouraged them because some of them were a bit discouraged because of the cell vision and so we just encouraged them we prayed with them and then on Sunday morning we went to this traditional church and um, initially they were a bit um, pastor was a bit apprehensive about um, uh, receiving the word from two women anyway um <laughs> Just to explain the situation, some of the people out there in Romania, they're not used to women preachers like we are in KT. Any women here today? Hallelujah. You're very quiet here. Are you all Romanians here this morning? Hallelujah. They're not used to women preachers, but, you know, we sent the women out there to preach and tell us what happened. Okay. So um, it, it was powerful. The presence of the Holy Spirit was just amazing. There was a wo Muslim woman who got saved. And then... Um, <laughs> Even more surprised, they don't see many Muslims giving their lives to Jesus in these services. That was actually significant. Tell us how that person came. I went to have a chat with her afterwards, just to be sure. And a friend told me that that was her first time in church, and she had invited her. And, um, yeah, she was happy to um, get saved. And... Um, Many of them came forward after the service for prayers, and um, there was this couple that were so excited to have us, and they insisted they had to cook lunch for us. So they took us to their home. We had some fried food, and then they said it was rabbit. And um... <laughs> So we have Nigerians on mission experiencing rabbit there in uh, Romania. Now, we also have a testimony from Tope who went to Colberdeen. Now, the pastor told me in Colberdeen Church, they say that is the graveyard for preachers. I mean, they don't see many breakthroughs at all down there. And they tried to get the church started. They still only have a few people. But tell us, Tope, what happened when you guys went down there? Um, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. We went to host a youth meeting. So there were about 20 youth. And actually, some of the youth from the Visora Church actually came down to join the youth meeting. And what was amazing was they were really encouraged and on fire for God, these youth. So we had people from 14 to 21 who were there just willing to receive from God. So we shared some Bible stories with them. They performed the prodigal son. And after that, we shared some of the XE stories that we'd learned. And they, it really ministered to them about how and revealed to them more about Jesus. So it was really fantastic. After that, um, two, we, we then did an altar call for some of the youth, and um, two of them came forward and said they wanted to give their lives to Christ right then, even though it was quite, um, 
you know, an oppressive environment for those who weren't saved because those who were saved were really on fire, but they really came forward and gave their lives. So. Wow, so people are getting saved in Colbardine Church. Now, just to say about Colbardine Church, uh, two days ago, they had a Turkish meeting in that place because it's highly populated by Muslims. And Joshua, from a Muslim background, he's Algerian, he's from our Peer of One Church, he preached, and four Muslims came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they were crying and receiving Jesus. So we know that something significant has happened there in Colbardine. Now, uh, Tomaday, you were telling me how God really moved you with compassion uh, in your time in Romania. Tell us where you, we sent these guys, we sent these Nigerians off into the middle of nowhere, uh, Cerna Vorda. And uh, we, they were with the guy who's up there. You can see a picture of him. He's the guy that we basically bought him a car, part of the money uh, that we sent into Romania. He didn't have a car, and he was basically taking 30 kilometers on his bicycle to visit some of these villages. And so these guys went to visit this guy who's now got a Kensington Temple car. Hallelujah. And visiting these villages. So we have a part to play in what God's doing. So tell us what happened there in Cern of Order. Indeed. Um, as Christian said, we were assigned to Pastor Florin um, to take us to well, five or six villages uh, from Chenavoda, which is a town uh, sort of uh, four to three kilometers from uh, uh, Mejidia. And um, I think the interesting thing for me as a, as a testimony, uh, personally, it was a big, big eye-opener for me. Um, God ministered to me and challenged my spirit in such a way that I'd never seen before. And the reason why I say that is, um, I think from my viewpoint, I've been told, I've been given quite a number of prophecies in the past um, about uh, capabilities and gifts. And it was just an eye-opener for me that this was where I sort of belonged to, actually sort of minister to God's people. And I think the, 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 the pivotal thing is, in terms of the personalities and the gifts we have, um, these gifts and these personalities are not there for fun. They're there to actually minister to God's people. And it's what's really bearing that in mind that we need to rise up and start reaching out to God's people who are desperate to hear about him. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. So God's really touched Tomaday. Tomaday is a steward in KT. So we sent our first missionary steward out there into the middle of nowhere in Chernobyl. Now, Conley, that's the all. We only got a few seconds left. But tell us what happened there in Chernobyl as well. Um, like Christian said, um, we, were, um, we went to a leaders meeting in the morning on Saturday. And Pastor Florin, who you can see here, he gave us a lift back to Chernavoda. And as we were going, we were just having a conversation on how things were. And then he said, oh, that he used to cycle up until December. He used to cycle 30 kilometers to these villages. And I thought I didn't hear right. You know, but I was like, it can't be. I mean, I can't do that. So I said, you know, I think I was talking to Tomide. And we just had to confirm. And he said, yes, not a, not a, um, that was a mountain bike. And I was like blown, my mind was just blown out. I thought, wow, that, that is commitment. So the first village we went to, there was this um, couple that we met. And there was the woman we met there, she was the only um, believer in that village. And we started singing, we started singing praises. And then we started singing the blood of Jesus. And then Pastor um, Leslie um, there, he now asked um, Pastor Florian, that, does this man know about um, the blood of Jesus? And Pastor Florian said, well, why don't you tell him about it? And then he started sharing the gospel. And at the end, the man received salvation. And we're like, wow, this is good. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, let's give Jesus praise today for all of the things that have happened in Romania. It's been an awesome time. And we want to encourage every one of you to come and join us on the next mission. Thank you, Gabriel. Amen. Please take your seats. Good to see you here, KT, at the 11 o'clock service. Also wonderful joining us right now across the road at our Coronet Cinema, all the congregation of the Coronet joining us for this, and all those of you that are also across the world joining us on internet, I want to add my welcome to those that have come before that. I also want to bring greetings to you from our senior minister, Colin Dye. Regulars will know that he has been ministering in Brazil over the last two weeks. He will be returning early Tuesday morning, and uh, he thanks you for all your prayers. Those of you that remember our special missions month in July, where we were especially raising funds and seeking God for the mission field and Romania, great testimonies that we've heard this morning. A lot of what we raised that month was in order to translate Colin's Sword of the Spirit teaching series into Portuguese. And we're doing that and we're releasing that across Brazil. Colin has been ministering in different cities there, getting the teaching of discipleship out there. And it's a wonderful time. And uh, we're looking forward for him returning. He'll be with us next weekend. 
Also, Gabriel is speaking about Dr. R.T. Kendall ministering at our evening Bible college very soon. And it's wonderful to have him with us for a six-month period where he's resident here with his wife, Louise, visiting other churches and conferences. But he is also regularly preaching at Kensington Temple. And this afternoon at the 5 o'clock service and the 7 o'clock service, R.T. will be ministering to us. And he's here as well. So let's welcome him and Louise here this morning at their home church now in London. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn, please, to Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 1. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 1. I want to talk about turning the wilderness into an oasis. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 1. Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? Who gave them as dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it? Calling the generation from the beginning, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last I am he. The coastlands saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying it is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. But you, Israel, you are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. You, who I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war with you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel, I will help you, says the Lord. And your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small. And make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them when the wind shall carry them away. And the whirlwind shall scatter them. You shall rejoice in the Lord. And glory in the Holy One of Israel. The poor and needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia tree, the myrtle and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. Amen? I believe in the public reading of God's Word. To hear God's Word as it stands. Now, I want to talk to you today because we're going to look at this passage and the passages before it. Because what's taking place here is, at the end of Isaiah 39, Isaiah has just released this incredible bombshell prophecy to the king of southern Israel, Judah, Hezekiah. And he has told them that they're going to go into 
Babylon. And then in Isaiah 40, we'll look at that shortly, and Isaiah 41, it's amazing. He prophesies that they're going to go into Babylonian captivity, but before it even happens, he's already prophesying and preparing the people that are going to go into captivity for their restoration and for their reformation that's going to come to the people after 70 years of captivity. Now, I believe that what's going on here in Isaiah is a message for the Church of Europe today. It's evident that the Church of Europe itself today is in a Babylonian captivity of such a kind that has not been seen before pre-Reformation days. And so I believe that Isaiah, as well as speaking into this context that he was in about a Babylonian captivity to come and how to prepare to come out of it and how there was going to be a restoration of the Lord, is also speaking to the church of Europe today and saying that we are in Babylonian captivity, but God is fixing on bringing a deliverance and we're to play our part in that. Let's go to Isaiah 39 and verse 4 to see this prophecy of Babylon and the state of the, of the church or the God's people at that time. Isaiah 39 and verse 4. Hezekiah has courted the Babylonians, believing that in them his strength would be found. And their envoys have come to him and he showed them the treasuries and Isaiah is speaking to him. And Isaiah says, where did these men say? What did they say and where did they come from? Isaiah 39, verse 3. So Hezekiah said, they came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. What an incredible reaction to a prophecy of Babylonian captivity. You see, this is the picture of the church today. God is changing the picture, but this is the picture. Hezekiah was not interested in the future of his people. He was only interested in what was going to take place and what affected him in his own lifespan. And look what he did. He opened up the treasuries of his forefathers to the Babylonians. And when they saw it, the Babylonians must have said to themselves, we'll get a piece of this. We'll have a little bit of this. What is this a picture of? This is a picture, this treasury is a picture of the inheritance and the capital, our spiritual capital that Europe has enjoyed for generations as various moves of God and reformations of God and revivals of God in various places and various times in Europe has de deposited a spiritual treasury in Europe that the nations have been drawing on. But how many of you know in the last hundred years or so and even beginning before that, the Babylonian spirit has been taking and emptying the treasury of European nations from its Christian heritage. Week after week, month after month, year after year, the treasury of faith, the treasury of teaching passed down from generations, the great churches, the great moves, the great revivals, the great preachers, everything they have deposited in the European church has been being emptied over the last hundred years. And the spirit of Hezekiah, by and large, has been on the church of Europe. The attitude, well, we've still got enough in the spiritual bank for my lifetime. 
Oh, well, they may make this law and that law against Christian truths. They may be walking away from the things of God, but it'll be all right in our generation. We won't see it in my lifetime. Who knows what it'll be like for my sons and my grandsons, but I'm just seeing what I can get from the Lord for me. What I'm concerned about is me, my life, my short time. Thank God he just healed me from sickness and added a few more years. I'm going to live, I'm going to go out on a high, and I don't care because I won't be in Babylonian captivity. Horrendous, horrendous attitude of looking to oneself and one's own needs, and forgetting that it's not just about this generation, my friends, but we have been brought by God to fix things and to prepare the coming generations to hand on the baton of God that's fallen in the gutter to pick it up again, dust it off, and hand it on stronger and better to the coming generation. Thank God that Hezekiah, in chapter 40, verse 1, immediately began to prophesy that those in captivity, God would not leave nor forsake. Comfort ye, comfort my people, says God. Now this word comfort, it doesn't just mean be nice, or there, there, don't worry, you're going into Babylon, it's a terrible state of affairs in Europe, don't worry, there, there, it'll be okay. The Hebrew word comfort here means speak to the heart. Speak strength to the heart. Give a seed that will germinate and produce fruit. And in Isaiah 40, I just want to briefly go through this so we can go to the text I've preached. Isaiah 40 shows three voices. There are three voices in Isaiah 40. And these three voices are and must return to the church of Europe for God to turn the captivity and bring in the awakening and revival that he intends to bring. The first voice is found in verse 3. The first voice. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know that John the Baptist preached his sermon from this text, preparing for the coming of the Lord. And this was also a preparation for the people in Babylonian Babylonian captivity for the coming of restoring, reviving glory of the Lord. And the picture is of an unpromising environment. It's got hills and it's got valleys. It's, It's crooked and it's a wasteland. And looking at this environment, you wonder, can can anything good come into this environment? Is this the way that this crooked, valley, hill, perverse environment is going to stay forever? And the voice is crying and saying, prepare the way. This is an environment change that needs and is going on in our lives at the present time by the work of the Spirit if we cooperate with him. God is already at work in churches and ministries in Europe and this is what he is doing. He is saying, get your house in order. Fill in the valleys. Bring down the hills. Fix the crooked ways. Why? Because God is coming. It's like the preparation in a a terrible terrain of a big landing strip. It's almost like a jumbo jet. You know, above Heathrow, the jumbo jets and the aeroplanes, they circle patterns, don't they? Getting closer and closer to landing, waiting for their time on the runway. God is calling on his people or those that will listen to what the Spirit is saying to begin to change the environment spiritually of their own personal lives, their families, their churches, because God is fixing to land in Europe again. It's like a jumbo jet that's circling, circling, and it's getting closer and closer to the ground. But until that runway 
is fixed, until there's a straight highway of holiness for the Lord, it can't land. It's the first voice. I'm not preaching on these things today. This is just my introduction. The first voice that is returning and must return. The second voice is found in verse 6. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is as grass, and all the loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Not only is there a change of spiritual environment for the preparation of the coming of the glory, because let me tell you something. If that jumbo jet comes down in a hilly, ravenous, crooked place, it's not going to be the glory of restoration. It's going to be disaster. We need to get ready so that we can be carriers of the glory that comes. Sometimes it worries me that the God might send his glory and reviving spirit too soon that we won't be ready to bear it, that we'll glory in ourselves, in his glory, that we'll, we'll try and take the glory and know God is preparing the environment. But the other thing is the restoration of the word of God in our lives. Is the word in you today? Do you live the word? Do you feed the word? Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's not just about doing a little Bible reading. It's not just about hearing a sermon. It's about application of God's word by the Spirit in our lives for change. It's about standing on God's word like never before, believing God's word like never before. The enemy over the last hundred years has unleashed unprecedented attack against the integrity of God's word. But Jesus says scripture cannot be broken. And if your life is built on the scripture, if your house is built on the rock, you, my friend, though hard pressed, will also not be broken. It's time for the word to be preached like never before. The full counsel of God, the meat as well as the ice cream, And then the third voice that is being restored and must be restored in verse 9. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, good news, get up into the high mountains, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. The gospel. Get up on a mountain. Don't fear. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. You know, Paul in Romans said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why would he say that? Why didn't he say, I am proud of the gospel? Why would he say that in a negative? Why didn't he say, I am proud of the gospel? I'm proud of the gospel. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because there were people in that day and age that were ashamed of the gospel and the stigma of the gospel. Preachers were ashamed of the gospel. People were ashamed of the gospel. Fearful of ridicule. They begin to back up. They begin to get in their Christian ghettos. Oppressed by the spirit of Babylon. They begin to silence their word. But God is speaking to us not to go into retreat, but to advance to get up on high places, to get the gospel out, to speak it with boldness like never before, not to be ashamed. These three voices are essential to the restoration of the work and altar of God in Europe. The voice that says change of environment. We're not there. We haven't even begun to be a people holy from the Lord. Don't be discouraged. God is working in you now. But don't say, this is okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Don't take your spirituality from the temperature of the church in Europe today. But get God's thermostat and turn it high. And let God bring you to the right temperature that he wants you to be. Amen? The rest of that, that, uh, that chapter, basically, uh, Isaiah goes on and said, there's two things that you need to know. 
you need to know that God is the creator. He is in charge of his universe. He's not some watchmaker. You know, like people say, God is a watchmaker, designs the universe, winds it up, puts it there, and then steps back. Occasionally tinkering, occasionally interfering. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is intimately involved in everything in his universe. The great galaxies and the tiny microscopic cells. God is totally and utterly intimate with everything that's going on. And he's intimate with every person and every situation in Europe. And finally, because of that, he is also in this chapter ruling the nations. But let's now go to chapter 41. Keep silence before me, O coastlands. In these first two verses, God is saying this, all right. Okay, this is the state of affairs that we have. We have Babylonian ascendancy and Babylonian captivity. We have people denouncing the demise of the church in Europe. I mean, I was listening to Radio 4 News program just a couple of days ago. The person said it without even thinking. It wasn't even contended. He was saying, in this secular age, in this secular, what? Without God, unchallenged. In this secular age, God, now in the spirit realm, is calling the nations of Europe and saying, come on then. Come and speak to me about what is taking place in this great continent, in the great nation of Great Britain. You, you want to you talk about politics? You want to talk about who's in control? I call you. The coastlands means from the nations afar. And he, he calls them to him for discussion. And then in verse 2, God speaks about a leader, a great warrior, a great political leader... It's not a leader in specific. It could be any leader and all leaders, all the political leaders, all the military leaders of Europe. And he uses it as an example and says, what's going on in the world today? Who raised up one from the east? Who in righteousness called him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him and made him rule the kings? Who gave them as dust into his sword, as driven stubble to his bow? Who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet? Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last I am he. God is in control. How many of you know that ultimately the coalition is not running this country? All authority and power that David Cameron wields has been granted to him from on high and can be taken from him on high any moment the Most High wants. Who raises up nations? Who gives prosperity to nations? And who takes it away? It's not any God. It's our God, Jesus Christ, his Son, seated at the right hand of the Father. God is building confidence in a Babylonian captive people to say, I am in control. Not only am I in control, my deliverance is near. Prepare yourself. The environment is going to change. It's not just going to be the same old church, week in, week out, a bit more of the same. God is fixing to bring us out of captivity. Now, what is the reaction to the nations to this, like, spiritual calling? Well, it shows us. The coastlands in verse 5. Saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. And then we see it. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. And he who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes with the anvil, saying it's ready for soldering. And he fastened it with peds. You see, God calls it, but instead... Of the nations acknowledging what I've just preached to you. The greatness of God. 
Instead of acknowledging him, on the contrary, they turn from him. And whenever you turn from the true and living God, what comes into your life is fear. You see, when you stop believing in God, you don't believe in nothing. You, be, you begin to believe in anything, G.K. Chesterton said. And so here you see them recoiling from God's sovereignty and saying, well, what will we do? Don't worry. Human hands have the answer. One human says to another human, that's all right. We'll be okay. We've got the intellect, the education, the media, the science, the human resources to work out our own way apart from God. And one atheist encourages another atheist, and one uh, false religionist encourages another false religionist. And soon what happens is this picture of idols. They are producing idols, encouraging one another. And an idol, of course, takes many forms, but it fills the void of God. Europe is an idolatrous continent. Britain is filled with idols and household idols. You say household idols? Most of the household idols of Great Britain come in through the television as people worship household altars through the television. But God is not finished with Great Britain. And, And how does he answer this scenario? By his call. God always answers deliverance when deliverance is needed. God always answers with a call. Whether it be one of the great judges called to deliver a nation, whether it be a godly king called to deliver a nation, whether it be a prophet called to deliver a nation, church called to deliver a nation, The answer to the problems of Europe is found in God's call to the ministry. And look how he calls Israel. You're my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen. The descendants of Abraham, my friend. I've called you from the ends of the earth. Isn't that wonderful? God has friends and they come from all over the world. Just take a look around. Look where God has called you. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine arrangement. Nothing happens by accident. You're not in this church by accident. God has placed you here for such a time as this. God has called you, called you, and he's equipping you and empowering you in the vision of the house to meet the need of this city, this nation, and Europe. And look at how this calling comes with great affirmation. He says, I've called you for a great purpose. You're like my friend, Abraham. I've called you. And then again, these wonderful words of the Holy Spirit to a nation in captivity. Fear not, I have chosen you and not cast you away. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. Why did he say, don't be dismayed? Because they were dismayed. It's easy to be dismayed in this life and at this time. It's easy to be discouraged. And God knows your discouragement and God knows our dismay and God knows how hard it is sometimes when the captivity of Babylon is so strong with false religion and false atheism. And God is saying, I'll strengthen you. We could go right back to the end of chapter 40 where Jacob in verse 27 is saying, your way is hidden from me, Lord. Where where are you, God? Have you given up on Europe? Let's bring it down. Have you given up on Britain? Let's bring it down. Have you given up on London? Let's bring it down even more. Have you given up on me? Will you use me? Or is this just a pipe dream? figment of our imagination like revival is just around the corner 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 we find ourselves walking in circles like the children of Israel I'm telling you 
The days of walking round and round in the wilderness are coming to a close. There is a promised land to inherit in this nation and Europe. And he says, where are you? At the end of chapter 14. And God says, hey, don't you know the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. Well, sometimes it looks like you fainted, God. When we see what happens and the triumph of the evildoers, when we see falsehoods, rain, it looks like you've wearied. Have you wearied of Europe? We wouldn't blame you if you had given so much grace to Europe over so many years and centuries and so many generations. We wouldn't blame you if you had wearied if you grew tired or if you'd fainted, but you tell us that you haven't, you are as active today as you are in the great manifestations of your awakenings. You are as active at the low point of Babylon when their kids and children and grandparents were being carted off to Babylon. You were as active then as you were when you brought them back singing and praising. But not only that, You have not wearied, you have not tired, but Lord, we have tired. We have felt our arms like lead fall to our sides in intercession. We have wearied, and this speaking of weariness and tiredness of God's people speaks about two things in the Hebrew. It speaks about outward circumstances that have overcome us. Outward circumstances that the Church of Europe faces that seem just to overwhelm us. The outward circumstances of your life. You can barely get through the week and the preacher's telling you to get ready for an outpouring. And telling you to check, you can barely. And it also speaks about inward fortitude. About being strong on the inside. About having the word in you. Some of us... We're overcome on the outside and we're weak on the inside. But God says, I am bringing a new anointing. He says, you shall renew your strength. You shall run and not be weary, walk and not be faint. This is an impartation of strength for the hour. You say, how can we do these things and turn the sorrows of of Europe? And God says, I will give you strength. I will give you power. It will be a divine anointing. And what do you have to do to get it? Wait on him. The days of waiting on the Lord. The days of pouring it out before his throne are here. And this leads into the next section. That I'm going to come to. Verse 10. Verse 11, he says, Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be nothing. Those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contend with you, those who war with you shall be as nothing. Now look, this is, this is what they were facing. This was real. And there is a progression of antagonism against God's people by the Babylonians here. The first is emotional. It says, behold all who are incensed against you. This is people, you've heard it over the years. Oh, I can't stand the church. You're a bunch of hypocrites. Oh, you bunch, you're just a bunch of medieval throwbacks. Oh, getaway preacher, getaway Christian. they mocking the emotion. But it doesn't stay at that. It progresses. It says they shall be ashamed. It then says, those who strive with you. Now, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say strive. It says, the men of your lawsuit. The men of your lawsuit. Have you noticed an increasing number of lawsuits against God's people simply for being God's people? In the past few, it's getting where you can't even wear a cross round your neck without someone taking you to court. God is addressing that. Then it turns out into outright hostility and war. But God has got a message to the people that are experiencing this. And we are the people across Europe that are experiencing this. And listen to this. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. Those that bring shame upon the church, those that laugh and scorn the power of God's bride, shall themselves be ashamed and disgraced in the day of his glory. And those who, the men of the lawsuit, 
that come and think that by legal means they can oppress the people of God, shut down the people of God, keep silent the people of God. Thus saith the Lord, those who strive with you shall perish, you'll seek them and not find them. Who contend with you, who war against you, shall be as nothing a non-existent thing. God is well able to deal with his enemies in his time and in his way. Do not fear the enemy. The enemy has been defeated. There is no trial. There is no circumstance. There is no persecution that can enter your life to defeat you. Oh, glory to God. But sometimes we feel like verse 14. A worm. And God addresses them. It's not just us feeling like worms. God says, I know what you're thinking. I've told you I'm with you. I've told you I've called you. I've told you I'm going to deliver you. You're going to mount up with wings of eagles. You're weary, but you're going to be strong. You can barely walk, but you're going to learn to run. I'm going to deal with your enemies, even though they're dealing with you at the moment. I know what you're thinking. Fear not, you worm. You men of Israel. I will help you. He's going to transform us. You know, I said that God deals with the problems of nations through his call. And he's called us together. But who does he call? And where is his divine call going out across the nations, not just of Europe, but many of you have been called from other nations where God is visiting I'm being brought to this place for this time. You have been called here. You didn't come here by a visa accident. You didn't come here because you were grandfathered in. God brought you here. God called you. God saved you. And you're part of his end time plan. Even if you feel like a worm. <laughs> a worm. They were worms and we are worms. They were worms before God, inferior. They were worms before the task, inferior. Totally inferior to the task ahead. You say, well, Bruce, that's nice preaching about the future, but count me out. Why? I'm a worm. And they were totally, 100% in themselves, inferior to the enemy. The Babylonian spirit that God is even now calling us to come out of so that we can deal with. So you say, I feel like I'm a worm. Well, don't worry, because who does God call? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren. Not many wise, according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put the shame, the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh would glory in his presence. Listen to that. Not many, my dear. How many not many's do we have in the house today? Over there in the corridor, how many not many? Not many mighty, not many noble. Not many rich, but God has chosen the weak things to shame the wise. Sometimes the Lord, in his providence and mercy, allows the wicked to reign for a period of time that he might show his glory in overturning their rule. Could it be? Could it be? that we have the privilege of living in a moment when that is going to take place? Could it be we're at the end of the captivity and God is beginning to shake and to shape a church fit to carry and be glory carriers of his message and his power across Europe and the world? Could it be that we are the candidates? You say, wow, what sort of candidate do I need to be? A worm. You say, well, actually, I'm quite mighty. Actually, I've got a lot of wealth. Actually, I've got a lot of influence. Actually, I've got a lot of, dif I've got a lot of giftings. Actually, I'm doing quite well for myself, Bruce. Then woe to you. 
Woe to you in your riches. Woe to you in your greatness. Woe to you in your giftings. Were they not given to you by the Most High to serve his bride in this day? Read the book of James. If you think you're anything but a worm, get your face in the dust. Get yourself humble that God might exalt you. There are people in this under the sound of my voice and God has called you into the public ministry but you're too far in Babylon to respond to his word. I rebuke you. It seems in days past when God called great moves that it was the best of God's people that would go into the public ministry. It was the most prized place and in this very city Spurgeon himself in his School of the pastors would turn away one in ten. Sorry, uh, uh, yes, no, is that right? Or is it nine in ten? <laughs> Only one in ten. He'd, say, he'd look at them and say, I'm sorry, you're not ready. I'm sorry, there's not, not sufficient evidence of Christian maturity. I remember when I w- went to universities to study theology, I wasn't even saved when I started the course. And I sat down. And around me were not just other students, but there were also men and women being trained for the ministry in different denominations. I wasn't even saved. I sat down and I looked at them and I thought, dear God, I was praying, I wasn't even, dear God, what's this? These people, these people couldn't make it in business. These people couldn't make it in me. These people, and I said to myself, these people are here because there's no other place that will take them than the ministry. God help us. But God has got his call on us corporately and some of you individually. God is calling to the public ministry and don't be like John Knox and hide yourself away but come out into the light and hear your calling. All you need to be qualified is to love the Lord, know you're a worm, hear his voice and get out and preach the gospel. He doesn't leave you a worm. But when his glory comes on us, he transforms us. The worm is transformed in verse 15. Behold, worms, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. What is a threshing sledge? It's a heavy wooden platform, very heavy. Underneath are sharp metals and stones. And you bring in the harvest. You bring in the, uh, uh, the crop and you drag this threshing thing across it and it breaks up and smashes the harvest and out of that comes the, the wheat and, and the husks there. And it talks about smashing mountains. God can anoint a worm to bring down a mountain. The least of us with an anointing of God is a match for the greatest of the enemy. And this threshing thing, this is to do with harvest. It's harvest times, friends. I know it doesn't seem like it, but let's call those things that are not as though they are. It's harvest time for Europe. We call the things that are not as though they are with faith and encouragement. And God's going to send a threshing machine out there. He's preparing us. We're going to thresh. We're going to bring down the obstacles. We're going to bring down the, th- the, the, the hills that are, are against us. We're going to fill in the ravines. It's back to that environmental change through the gospel. And then God is going to send his winnowing. I don't know if I should go on to this. This is moving too far. But when the multitudes start coming in, that's only the beginning of the work. It's not the multitudes, but when the multitude's coming in, we're going to have to winnow. We're going to have to winnow. Because when they all start pouring in, not all that pour in will be the elect. And we're going to have to preach the cross and discipleship. We need it in our lives now because God is not not just looking to save a nation. God is not looking anymore just to save Europe. He's looking to disciple a nation. Go into all the world and disciple Great Britain, France, Germany, all the places. God is looking for a discipled people to disciple nations. And we're going to preach a message in these times. A message of the cross. And that's what we're going to know. And this revival won't come by just nice sponge cake messages. 
is going to come by a people who have got things right in their own hearts. And finally, where is all this going? What is this all about? All that I've spoken to you today, what is it really all about? God's glory, but what else? It's this cry. It's this cry. In verse 17, the poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. People are dying of thirst. Spiritual thirst. You know there's a spiritual thirst. Jesus said, come to me, all that thirst. He said to the woman who was so thirsty, she drank five men and she was, the, the, the one she was drinking right then was not her husband. She was so thirsty for relationship significant. He said, I can give you water that will never run out. I can give you water that will never run out. People are dying of thirst up and down the land, in our neighborhoods. Thirst. Even in our schools, children are being brought up with not even a semblance of the knowledge of God. In fact, whatever water is left in our education system is being taken away. Taken away and taken out. Babylon is taken away. The taps where the water flows. And people are thirsting. They don't know where to drink. And they're drinking at all the wrong places, the poisoned water. And their tongues are failing for thirst. But God has heard them. And he won't forsake them. And here we get the picture. And may God grant us in this place today to see it and experience it. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Maybe that you're in this place today and you're not here by accident and God has called you. You just came along with a friend or you just thought you'd visit KT for some unknown reason to you but not unknown to God. And God is offering you his eternal life today. And it's the only thing that can satisfy you. And you can go out today with your sins forgiven you. Right with God. You came in an enemy of God. You go out a friend of God. Why don't you join the worms today? Because we're on a journey with God. We're on a mission from God. Join us. Join us. If you're here and you've never given your life to the Lord, you say, I wouldn't say I was a Christian when I came in. Well, you can say it when you go out. With every head bowed, if you say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Lord, forgive my sins. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, rose again. That's all you have to believe. You see to the right hand of the Father praying for you. All you have to believe. And you, my friend, will be saved. The barriers between you and God will come down in a moment of faith. Your sins will be forgiven you. And you will join God's plan for the earth. And you'll find God's plan for you. One heartfelt prayer away. If that's you with every head bowed, and you're ready for that, please lift your hand right where you are and I'll pray for you. I'll also pray for you in that lift your hand. You say, why do I have to lift your hand? Because Jesus didn't die in some cupboard somewhere. He died publicly, naked, and carried your shame. So if you want him, you lift your hand and I'll pray for you right now. Anybody? Yeah. Anybody else? Last time of asking. Father, we pray for those that have responded today. They've heard the call. 
and they've asked you forgiveness and that will be granted them. Lord, we ourselves respond to this message. Each one of us just needs to do our part. Use us, prepare us, encourage us, and may we play our part with the rest of the body of Christ to bring your plans to pass that the thirsty might drink in our nation, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you.